it often takes me a little while to get warmed up, so I'm going to just accept that tonight. <laughs> I feel myself warm. <laughs> um, I'd like to call your attention to a couple of words that um, were used by President Wagner, Jim. Support driving me around. I'd like to thank the folk at the Rose Library for showing me a good time with those old books. <laughs> it's been a really amazing time here, and I hope that um, this talk might might offer us all something. I just started wearing glasses. <laughs> They're not comfortable. <laughs> Jim used were words like uh, forging community, um, the imaginative reshaping of neighborhoods, tackling abandoned buildings, uh, creating community, creativity, and the arts. This lecture is always supposed to think about uh, maybe the role that an artist plays society shaped. These are broad strokes uh, and daunting, daunting tasks to imagine that any person would have the responsibility in reshaping uh, the world. That's me. Reshaping the world. That's me. Just start there that there's too many of them and that they're that they're 
just kind of don't want to look at so many of them. There's just too many. They, they just keep propagating. They're everywhere. It's like I can't even go to St. Croix anymore without <laughs> seeing them. I try to stay on the Dutch side. <laughs> but black space in the sense that there's a there's a set of there's a set of uh, challenges that affect certain people. And I'm interested in kind of um, more deeply interrogating.
I met a sister named Rosemary today who works in the Rose, the Rose Library. Rosemary was talking about, uh, in a way, the hardware store is the stuff that keeps our lives together. That's what she said. Right. And I was attracted to the hardware store for purely aesthetic reasons. I wasn't interested in what a bolt could do. I was just interested in that there was a set of bolts next to another set of bolts next to another set of bolts. I'm a Virgo. Virgos like boxes. I like boxes. I'm a, I'm a box man. <laughs> so, you see the salt in the middle of the wall. Ken, Ken was ready to retire. <clears throat> he wanted to sell the, the, the building and the contents. <clears throat> I remember when we first started talking to Ken, uh, he was like, well, the thing that we make the most money off is uh, He was like, man, uh, you could just get rid of everything else and just keep the lottery machine. You make your money back in six months. Another kid. Lottery. Legal. Legal numbers. But like, I was interested. I was really interested like in that stuff. Like, what's that? <laughs> Disinfectants and Cloroxes, they make things white. And that right there America. Okay? Glue traps. Them for us. Y'all know what glue traps is. Sometimes when, when, uh, when people talk about the stuff that I do, they, uh, they talk about like archives, and, and when, when we think about archives, we think about collections of things. We think about bodies of knowledge, and we think about them in really particular ways, like books, and records, and slides, film, um, letters, you know, things, things, things that are legible, legible as like kind of intellectual fodder. But as I thought about Ken's hardware store more and more, I thought about um, storefronts as a kind of archive of black space. That, that, that it was really exciting to think that um, the hardware store that Ken owned was next to a convenience store that people had shopped at for 30 years, that was next to like an upholstery store, that was next to the motor supplies, like the local automotive spot that was next to um, an auto repair spot that was next to the gas station. And that, 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 that those things together, that aggregate was its own kind of index of black space. So rather than just thinking about uh, books and film and letters, could it be also that Ken's hardware store represented a kind of archive of the everyday? And that every day, um, there were people who would come in and they knew exactly where the glue traps were. They were like, oh, caught one last night, can't I'm gonna get another one. Like, oh, you know, like, you know, we need some new, you know, uh, my, my, uh, my plumbing trap is clogged. I need a new one, I can go get my trap kit. 
right? There were like all these um, amateur uh, experts, <laughs> right? But it was like, but it wasn't Home Depot. It was, it was kin spot. It was like, the tr it was true value, but the U was gone, so it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> Stores and create 
uh, hostels for people who were hot to visit uh, Porto. And that the mayor of Porto was really anxious that this cultural asset, their hardware stores, that that thing was going to go away and be replaced by this uh, kind of homogeneous strip of uh, dive bars that were on the first floor and then hostels above. So the mayor of Porto says to me, is there a way that we can keep um, these hardware stores alive? Is there a way that these rituals can be um, deemed important again? Can we, can we ask anything of these French entrepreneurs? We need them to be present. We want local tourism. Folk need a place to stay. We understand that, but, but our hardware stores are going away. The, the kind of nuanced, the thing that makes Porto Porto will be gone soon, and it too will have all the national and international brands. And soon Porto would look like every other and so, it's, it, and so it, it makes me wonder, like, what are these strange rules, these, same, these strange rituals that are possible, and then how do we, like, wake up these rituals? So I started, started asking myself about rituals, rituals in relationship to how people operate every day, rituals that are related to, like, a kind of rites of passage, like what happens when I'm 14. When I'm 14, my mother says, uh, I am sending you out into the world and you will go kill a ferocious animal. And you will do it with this knife. And don't come back till you do it. And that that would require then a 14 year old to imagine that he in this case has the capacity to do something that is like nearly impossible. That it would require, it would muster all of the strength and courage and tenacity and speed, like everything that a 14 year old has, and would have to focus it on this one, one object of desire. It would create this moment of destruction that maybe the 14 year old might not ever have to have another moment of destruction because they've proven the point. When I think about the absence of ritual, the challenge of rituals and the desire that 14-year-old boys in black space have to simply be approved, to have a simple nod, to have a way of understanding the world, to have somebody say, oh, you did it. You did the thing that every 14-year-old has to do, right? And in this case, it is not um, an animal. It is not a beast. It's, a, it's a, another black body. Some might consider them beasts. And so we're, we're using guns and knives on each other because there's kind of absence of ritual. There's an absence of the rites of passage. There's, the, the passages are still there. The, the chronic desire, the psychic desire is still there. And so um, white boys hunt. You know, there's like, like, I got a little house in Wisconsin, it's deer season, and then these dudes, they put on these clothes, they put on antler ears. <laughs> they like, they, they have these like, they got hooves, they, uh, they get in trees, they wrap themselves in brush, they have these like, weird uh, 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 loud sounds that they make, and they have their guns, and they have these targets, and they are licensed to do it. I keep thinking, like, really? You gonna sit in a tree 
all day for three weeks waiting on a deer. What is that about? It's like, is there something to it? That white boys with licenses, like, like, do they understand something that black men with guns don't understand? Like, how is that permissible? Like, what are these strange perversions that happen in our rituals that, like, help some people understand and get permission to, like, like have a gun? And then, like, everything else that these, these beasts over here do are villainized. They have, they have guns, too. And the difference is that there's been this kind of loss of the apparatus to understand, like, what, what to shoot at, what the ritual means, why it's important. It's like, it's not really about... Shooting deer, it's about brotherhood. It's about sharing um, warm cocoa <laughs> and beers over ice that could fail under your feet and make you really cold when you go ice fishing. Who would ever do that? Why <laughs> people do that stuff all the time? And that's why in black space you never see ice fishing happen. <laughs> <laughs> <He's smart. laughs> I think there are moments when my work is trying to like tease out what are these what are these rituals? Man, I probably press the wrong way. Did I press the wrong way? Good thing. 
It's a good thing, but it's sad that um, we still haven't found ways to share space. That there's probably more gated communities today than there have ever been. And that, that in addition to the kind of race divide, there are probably uh, wealthy black folk that won't, don't want to be near poor black folk. And uh, first generation uh, Chinese Americans who will never be near uh, their second generation cousins. That there are some people that go to the East Coast. They're the East Coast Koreans and they're the West Coast Koreans. And they differ. So interesting that this, these divides that are still kind of in a nuanced way, fictitious, unreasonable, psychological. It's amazing that they still exist. They do. But every once in a while, a sister or a brother lands somewhere else.
pursuit of the great altar has everything to do with the desire to accrue the kind of sacred value for the things in black space, the everyday things, the, 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 the quarter-inch screw, the bolt, that I want to take those things and imagine them as the most sacred, most important things ever, grow the value in that thing, and then redeploy those screws, redeploy the albums, the slides, the books, and the letters. That people may grow wealthy in another kind of way. There, there would be a kind of cultural wealth. And that cultural wealth and the reactivation of the Stony Island Art, Arts Bank might be the beginning of an even bigger wealth, a kind of a, 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 a new aggregation, a new willingness to invest, a new interest in black space uh, when there was none. When, when there had just been flight, when there were no banks willing to open in black space, if those banks weren't underwritten by some federal government resource, if there was no risk, there was no chance being taken in certain kinds of black space. And so someone has to like build the beginning of the altar. One has to just plant the freaking altar. And then after planting the altar, after making the case, allow for the accruals to happen, allow for the deposits of culture to kind of like grow the well of the place. And in a way, the challenge of black space is that no one's remembering the sacred. No one's willing to say, I believe this place is holy. Right here, right? Something great happened here. Let's build our stone altar here. And that over time, the stone develops moss and growth and green and sun and water. Like, things naturally start to happen. <coughs> Natural growth can happen. People are like, oh man, that's the mark of the Ark of the Covenant. That's dope. <laughs> we should do something next to that. And so on some level, I, I really believe that the, the art that I'm trying to, trying to make has to do with just the ability to see, just the ability, the, the willingness to, to, to imagine that there are things worth seeing. It has to do with like sometimes needing glasses uh, that might help to um, focus uh, our, our gaze. That in a way I can see more clearly as a result of these glasses. And so, what if, what are the necessary um, spectacles that would help us see the potential within black space more? And, and, and is it always uh, the creation of an economic empowerment zone? Is it? Always, like somebody from the outside has to come in and confer with people on the inside already knows. You know. So we just started to accrue things. We, we built an altar. We believed in the place. And then we started to uh, deposit things there. 
And with the deposit came the potential for a kind of program. Like, now that we have these things here, what should we do with these things and who should benefit from them? But there's a part of this, and the reason that I love the word altar is that there's a part of this that does feel kind of sacred, kind of like our everyday things are special too. And we have to believe them to be so. And that the everyday things may not look like other people's everyday things. They may not be as big or as shiny, but they're ours. They're mine. They were yours. They were my daddy's and my mama's. And for no other reason but their proximity to me, they have a right to be talked about, to be reflected upon, to be a part of history. I think we've been just trying to figure out ways to do that, to create beautiful sacred space where great things might accrue. <laughs> and as these moments go away in our commercial fronts, as commercial fronts change because the, the fabric of doing business is changing, there is the question of like, what do we do with all these things that are going away? There's a way to continue to love these things, to continue to find ways to use these things, to reinvent the use of these things. So we don't really have an art talk, per se, but I do have a kind of logic, a sense that things in white space should be grappled with. We, des we deserve to understand these things. And the more I think about my dad and his roofing practices, and his labor practices, I mean, he wouldn't have called them labor practices, it was work. <laughs> when I think about his work and I think about what he gave me that I might be able to reflect on his work as a labor practice. <laughs> <laughs> It's like when, uh, when his tar kettle and my clayed hands get together, this new bywork, this light-skinned art, this, this quadrant of artistic possibility, like new things, new new things start to appear.
thinking. And, uh, today at Emory, uh, over these years at the University of Chicago, I feel like the more that I learn about this old crazy world, the more that I learn about materials, the more that I learn about space, the more I can freak it. And that really, knowledge ain't nothing if you can't freak it. <laughs> I just want to say, you know, whether these things are happening in a museum space and, and those things become sacred or uh, on my block, that there's a way in which I hope that we can grapple with the things of this world longer. When we grapple with those things, that we would share those things, that we would share our knowledge as a way of kind of transmitting, transmitting information through those things with others, that like there might be a great cultural come up for us all. Thank you very much. <laughs>